This is John Holtzman, and welcome to the weekly Around the World in 20 Minutes podcast, where we try to make sense of the fascinating planet we happen to live on. Today is going to be a fun one for me because I look at the most overrated leader in the world since Barack Obama. Angela Merkel is doing her long-standing farewell tour ahead of the German election, September 26th, and is being lauded in all sides. And this reminds me of the fact that we live in a world where we've utterly forgotten the difference between accomplishment and notoriety. And that's why I say we live in the age of miracle. If you follow the facts empirically and are a historian and look at what people actually do rather than what is actually said about them, life can be both amusing and give you great clarity. The cognoscenti of Europe have said for many years, almost decades now, that miracle is the key leader in the Western world, the economist deep into vapidness now and deep into following the conventional wisdom rather than being a hard-hitting newspaper as it once was, said she is now the leader of the free world. This was a slam at Donald Trump at the time and that Merkel was the steady hand at the tiller running society and keeping Western democracies going. This made her out to be an almost Herculean figure, which is the opposite of everything that she certainly is and has done. Um, it amuses me to no end that people confuse her longevity with accomplishment. And when I would go to endless parties and endless conferences in Europe and talk to the great and the good, all of whom have been brainwashed into the idea that Miracle is some sort of great leader, I would say just simply and blandly, to their horror, evidently, as though I were mad, what exactly has she done? What exactly has Mrs. Miracle accomplished during her many years in power? And they would look at me rather stricken and then say uh, what the German public said in calling her Mutti, Mommy, that creepy Freudian assertion that all Germany wants is Mommy to keep the forces of the world at bay, keep calamity away from us, and nurture us in a way that keeps reality gone as though Germany, rather than being the greatest power in Europe, were a four-year-old child. And I think that this sums it up well. Miracle has been tactics, tactics, tactics. There is no strategy to Miracle. And if you look at it this way, everything she does makes sense. When Mrs. Miracle wakes up in the morning, she says, how can I throw plates in the air? How can I keep things going? Not, can I solve any problem? And if you don't master history, history will very quickly master you. I've been told she kept things going, that no calamity occurred in her reign. Well, that was true of Louis XV whose long reign accomplished nothing for the Bourbons in France, leading directly to the calamity that was Louis XVI. Now historians regard this as almost commonplace, that this is the fact. But we live in an age of miracle, where being notable by what people say rather than what you do is what matters. Mrs. Miracle has done nothing less than transform mediocrity into an art form. Let's do a thought experiment as we look at this. I mean, the key factor is every other major German chancellor, in a sentence or two, I can tell you something brave that they did that cost them, but was good for the future of both West Germany and then Germany as a whole. If you look at Konrad Adenauer, he decisively turned Germany to the West, had to join NATO, even though that meant leaving Eastern Germany behind and the dream of German unification behind for a good deal of time. He decisively transformed Germany, the new state of West Germany, into a Western norms-setting 
NATO member, which was no mean accomplishment and gave it stability after the horrid years of Nazism. If you look at someone like Willy Brandt through Ostpolitik, he bravely said, we're going to talk to and deal with Eastern Europe, particularly East Germany, trying to set up a system whereby we begin to move them slowly away from their gravitational pull to Moscow and more into a centrist line. This at the time was attacked by many, but is now seen as a key factor in the positive unraveling of the Cold War. If you look at Chancellor Helmut Schmidt, certainly no friend of the United States. I happened to meet Schmidt, have dinner with him a couple times as a young man, and his anti-Americanism was palpable. Also, his infuriating intellectual superiority, which I found not backed up by much. Again, to the shock and horror of anyone in the German cognoscenti, I think he also is a bit of a balloon. But on the other hand, when it came to it, bravely, Schmidt did see and transfer the center-left against the far-left. He took on the Batter-Meinhof gang bravely, and despite disliking the Americans and hating Ronald Reagan, he allowed the installation of intermediate nuclear forces into Germany, a key fact in winning the Cold War. This came at great political cost and may have cost him, indeed, the German chancellorship, but he did it anyway because it was right for Western Germany and the Western alliance at the time. Helmut Kohl, managed to wind down the Cold War with George Herbert Walker Bush in a way that unified Germany without frightening too many horses in France and the UK at the time, making serious concessions to both, enabling unification to happen. Uh, this caused controversy at the time, but he resolutely went ahead and did this. Even Gerhard Schroeder, certainly a chancer, now a lackey of the Russians of the First Order, having sold out weeks after leaving the chancellorship to become a member of Gazprom at all, a paid lackey for the Russians. But during its chancellorship, Germany was economically the sick man of Europe. And despite this at the time, he bravely went about setting about far-reaching economic reform that cost him his job, but set Germany up for 20 years of growth, ironically under Merkel. So for each of the major chancellorships of, of Western and then Germany, you can see a chancellor who did something brave that we can very quickly paraphrase that set Germany on a better course than they found it. That simply isn't the case with Merkel. And when after every conferences and the cocktail parties, I'd say, what did she do that was brave? What did she do that transcended German society, making it better? Um, uh, well, you know, the Economist likes her, the FT likes her. I don't care. I care what is, not what a bunch of mediocrities say about a bunch of other mediocrities, what Chatham House says. Um, the reality is, what do people actually do? Merkel has done nothing. Let's look at her record. And worse, by doing nothing, she's become the Louis XV of Europe transforming a society already in relative decline with the rise of Asia, the rise of the emerging markets, the rise of India, the rise of China, and certainly didn't even keep up with the United States during this period of time. She left Europe in absolute decline. She found it in relative decline and left it in absolute decline. She will be seen as the Louis XV of Europe. And remember, he said, après nous le déluge, after us, the rain. Unlike the self-aware Louis XV, Mrs. Merkel is being garlanded with praise. And praise for what? Her utter mediocrity. For managing, as she said, crises rather than solving, as though this was a smart set way to say that's all you can do. Problems can never be solved. They can merely be managed. 
That's how people in decline talk. People on the ascendant who are, who are doing well or are robust solve their problems and move on to the next. They don't manage problems, which has become code speak for doing nothing but kicking the can down the road. And at that, tactically, Merkel is a master. Let's have a look. Well, first of all, she lived off Schroeder's reforms, uh, but never instituted any of her own. She moved her center-right CDU, the Christian Democratic Union Party, in alliance with the CSU, the Christian Social Union Party of Bavaria. She moved them from the center-right-right to the center, to the mushy center, where there was almost no difference between their corporatist views, their statist corporatist views, and those of the SPD and the Greens. Well, this certainly helped her win elections, but it didn't help Germany at all, because without any free market impetus of the kind that ironically Schroeder had provided, Germany has, has limped along, doing all right, growing in between 1.5 and 2 percent. Say 2 percent is the number that a healthy uh, de developed democracy, industrialized democracy ought to grow at. She's been beneath that number, 1.5, 1.7 beneath 2%, so suboptimal growth, but certainly better than that of stricken Greece, Portugal, Italy, and Spain. But if you're setting the bar at not doing worse than Italy, Portugal, Greece, and Spain over the last 20 years, you're setting the bar far too low. Compare this with the plus 2% rate in the United States, another industrial society, or the plus 2% in the Anglosphere countries, countries like the UK, a booming Australia, a healthy Canada, and New Zealand. She has fallen behind even the other advanced industrial countries and has, as the engine of Europe, not allowed Europe to grow at the 2% it needed to be taken seriously economically in its competition with both the United States, the Anglosphere, and booming China and India, of course. So they've fallen year upon year ever further behind by never taking any tough decisions on the economy, but limping along in what is now her social democratic way. The economic policies of the SPD, the Greens, and the CDU have been almost undistinguishable. And because of that, there has been less than dynamic growth, to put it mildly in Germany, and certainly it has not served as the engine for the rest of Europe, which it had been up to then, pulling the rest of the continent forward. And as a result, Europe has been becalmed, sclerotic, in torpor, not falling apart, but not moving ahead. In other words, this describes perfectly the age of Merkel. Secondly, looking at the Eurozone crisis with Greece when it came to a head, Merkel behaved in typical fashion. She, she did just enough and wrote just enough checks to keep the whole system together without fundamentally transforming the EU into some sort of real currency union, which would allow it to take the dynamic steps necessary to cross-fund the weaker southern states. She did this because it would be political death in Germany and the northern European states. But without doing this, we have an incomplete currency union going on in Europe that is increasingly naked and open to everyone to see. And as a result, Despite the skillful bluffing of people like ECB bankhead Mario Draghi, Europe has fallen further behind because its Eurozone is, is not an optimal currency union, to put it mildly. By doing just enough to keep the whole show on the road without doing enough to transform it, the Eurozone has, like the German economy, simply limped along, but at great political cost. Ask anyone in Greece what they think of Mrs. Merkel or Germany, and you're bound to get an expletive deleted little better in Spain, Portugal, and Italy. 
So the political divisions that came out of the Eurozone crisis are unresolved because the Eurozone crisis is unresolved. So as is true domestically and economically, the Eurozone has limped along, neither falling apart nor solving its crises as things move forward. Um, the biggest effort and the only time that Mrs. Merkel was brave, the refugee crisis, she got wrong. And with Syrian refugees and others from Iraq on the border, over a million strong in Hungary, Mrs. Merkel, without any debate within her cabinet, without any discussion with regional leaders, and remember Germany is a strongly federal state, without any parliamentary discussion, cabinet discussion, or discussion with these launder leaders, Mrs. Merkel just decided on her own that in the vapid slogan, which sums her up well, we can do it. There was no plan for taking in a million refugees, no efforts at assimilation, no efforts at how, no efforts at how to socially, culturally, economically integrate these people into the German system. Rather, we're just going to take them. We're going to do virtue signaling. We are going to take them on board with no plan whatsoever. And after a few months of the usual cognoscenti euphoria, with the usual suspects, Chatham House, The Economist, the FT, at all saying, isn't this wonderful? Doesn't this show how wise and benevolent and decent Mrs. Merkel is? It suddenly dawned on people that although virtue signaling might be a lot of fun, doing good and being good aren't the same thing. There was no German plan to assimilate anybody. And what this has done is caused huge ructions within Europe because other countries like Hungary and Poland don't want to take any refugees. And this has put immense pressure on countries like Italy, already hard-pressed economically, Germany and France, to portion out how the refugees are going to be divided country to country. So she felt good but did not do good. And rather, the AFD, the far-right AFD party in Germany, which was on its last legs at the time, found an entire new breath of life attacking Mrs. Merkel's mindless assimilation or attempted assimilation of refugees without any game plan whatsoever, a fact that she ultimately admitted. Again, no one comments on this. I'm taking crazy pills. I'm living in a world, and you see why European elites are utterly divorced from reality. Every time I go to one of these meetings, it's as though I was, I was bringing up things that really shouldn't be mentioned at dinner. The fact that Mrs. Merkel has failed economically, failed with the Eurozone, certainly failed with the refugee crisis, and that doing good and being good aren't the same thing, and that if you don't have a plan to take refugees on board, you are merely storing up huge divisions within Europe, making Germany a magnet for refugees without any plan whatsoever, and transforming a dying far-right party in Germany, the last thing anybody in the world needs, into a booming concern that gathers about 10% of the vote nationally and more in eastern Germany, and has become a permanent problem in the German political landscape, all without assimilating over one million people. Anyone who thinks this success needs their head examined. But we live in the age of miracle, where mediocrity has been turned into an art form. And so we come to the last point, Mrs. Merkel's foreign policy, which has led to a hesitant neutralism in Germany. And by this, Mrs. Merkel has been seduced. After Fukushima happened, she immediately, and again without any reference to anyone, panicked and withdrew um, her support for nuclear power in Germany. Now, I am personally against nuclear power, so I'm not against what she did. But the way she did it, again, was totally a panicky reaction to Fukushima, to the rise of the Greens domestically. She says, without consulting anybody, 
we're going to do away with nuclear power. And without thinking through a plan, this leaves her utterly dependent on Russian natural gas. And Nord Stream 2 is the direct outcome of this panic over Fukushima. Nord Stream 2 will double the amount of intake Germany receives in terms of natural gas from Russia, in this case bypassing Ukraine. But more importantly, geostrategically, it means Russia can turn the tap off any time it wants. It also puts the United States in the ludicrous position of defending a Germany that's doing a massive gas deal with a country that we're worried about, in theory, invading it. This is a Kafka novel, not lost on American populace, that the Germans, even under pressure from the pro-German, pro-European Biden administration, and there can't be anyone more pro-German or more pro-European than Joe Biden, he gently asks her to do away with his deal, as siding with our sworn enemies of NATO might not be a good idea, he says, and Mrs. Merkel, under pressure from the United States, under pressure from the Eastern Europeans in NATO, under pressure from the French, ignores everyone and says, German commercial concerns come first. We're doing the pipeline, even if it binds us ever more closely to our supposed enemy, Russia. And the point is simple. Mrs. Merkel has followed a mercantilist foreign policy, if you can even call it that. It's either that or incoherence, but in either case, she has bound Germany ever more closely to a neutralist position. They're not pro-American. They're not doing anything the Biden administration wants. He chose not to pick a fight with Mrs. Merkel over Nord Stream 2, though Biden should have. And instead, this leaves Germany entirely bound energy-wise with Russia, and increasingly so moving forward. Rather than looking at the American shale revolution at possibilities for imports there, she chose to side with the key point that we would now deal with Russia even though there were alternatives in the Gulf, in the United States. Instead, she chooses our enemy, Russia, to be closer to. And in general, her mercantilism has meant that there is no sign of the German army. My high school could take the German army. This is a joke. Its defense spending has been under 2%, which is the NATO aspiration. Now, for generations, I don't even argue when I go to meetings anymore. When I started, I banged the drum and said, look, if you do 2%, we can talk about more European Unified Defense Command and defense spending in an effort to get them to spend it. But the point is they simply don't want to. This isn't a mistake. This is what they want. And so we have a Germany that has no military, that is only a mercantilist power. And because of this, this Germany is neutralist. It is neutralist. It is not pro-American. It is not pro-Western. It has no interest outside of Europe. And it shows it. And so this not only takes the most powerful economic country in Europe, making it a policy-free zone for the West, a black hole intellectually and policy-wise for the West, it leads Europe to utter division. We have Eastern European countries and Northern European countries who want to be much more pro-American. We have the French under Macron running a Gaullist policy, and we have Europe running a neutralist policy with Italy veering uh, sporadically between a five-star pro-China policy and a Draghi's more pro-Atlantic policy. In other words, we have an utter political mess, an utter geostrategic division and confusion, and it starts at the top. It starts with Angela Merkel's neutralism. So overall, what does this mean? Well, beyond the humor in saying that Merkel is a perfect symbol of our era, that we've taken what the smart sets say at cocktail parties, utterly divorced from all these facts, 
and utterly divorced from the fact that she is the most overrated political leader in our time, certainly at least since Barack Obama, another guy who accomplished almost nothing after his health care bill in the last six years of his presidency. We take a woman who has accomplished nothing and we put her on a pedestal. That in itself is a great danger. But most importantly, she has found a Europe, and Germany is the dominant power in Europe, that was in relative decline and has left it in absolute decline. It is politically divided for the reasons I've said, both at the Eurozone level and at the geostrategic level. It is militarily non-existent, as France is the only European power that can do full-spectrum operations from warfighting to peacekeeping, and it's economically sclerotic. Politically divided, militarily impotent, economically sclerotic. And these changes ossified under Merkel, leaving Europe a, uh, an era that started in absolute decline and is an area that is now in absolute decline and started in relative decline. She is the key Louis XV figure that has seen problems and Europe's decline become absolute. And this is entirely due to her. She has transformed mediocrity into an art form. And like Louis XV, après nous, le déluge. After us, or in this case, after her, the rain. Thank you very much. If you enjoyed this, please do hit uh, subscribe. And for those of you who have already subscribed, again, we are honored, so many of you have, and we love doing these for you and giving you cutting-edge, provocative analysis that's on the money. And again, it's most of all right. That's what matters. Um, please do up your free subscription to the $7 a month or $70 a year, what we call the Starbucks subscription. For the price of one Starbucks, we can keep doing this for you, and we want to. So please do that before we move all the content onto paid or much of it onto paid. Thanks very much and look forward to the next.